adopted. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Banana Life. It's a sad day for all of us, but this will be the last episode of Banana Life, and I wanted to go out with a bang and talk about the most hard-hitting subject, at least I think, uh, next to our last episode that we had, that needs to be discussed, which is... Drum roll, please. Last drum roll of the series. Dealing with racism as a transracial adoptee. Now, last week's episode was pretty hefty, and this topic may be sensitive to some listeners, but it's something that's important and cannot be taken lightly, which is why I'm here talking about it today. First off, I think that it's a pretty prime time to be talking about racism towards minorities and especially the Asian community right now. As you may know, the COVID-19 pandemic began in Wuhan, China, which eventually spread to hundreds of countries which made it a global pandemic. And in the beginning of this pandemic, even to this day, there is an exceedingly amount of racism towards the Asian community. I'm not sure about the other countries, but in America, being racist towards Asians has been normalized. And because of COVID, people have found more ways to mock and ridicule us. And I know for a fact that you can think of a racist comment about Asians right off the top of your head, because that's all we heard when growing up in America. I can definitely tell you that I've heard more Asian jokes from people I know than reading content from the internet. And because us adoptees are placed in America, where being Asian is a minority, we have to deal with the inappropriate comments and gestures people do to make us feel inferior. In a thehill.com article, the author stated Judy Chu, a U.S. representative who is Asian American, claims that since the beginning of COVID, there are about 1,000 anti-Asian hate crimes a day. And this does not include the unreported events. Let me read a page from my book of knowledge. From the FBI.gov, yes, the actual website for the FBI, they describe a hate crime as a criminal offense against a person or property motivated in whole or in part by an offender's bias against a race, religion, disability, sexual, sexual orientation, ethnicity, gender, or gender identity. And these kinds of attitudes add to the timeline of anti-Asian racism. And this is because hatred towards Asians have existed since Asians have been in America. Yeah, I think this is totally valid and totally true. Like just, it's July 27th and literally a week ago, July 20th, President Trump posted on Instagram a picture of him in a mask, finally. And his caption is, we are united in our effort to defeat the invisible China virus. When Ali says normalized, he is choosing to name this pandemic the Chinese virus just because he can. And you know how many people like this post? A million two hundred twenty nine thousand four hundred and twenty one people and people I follow like this post. And it is so frustrating and so defeating to see that President Trump and the people who support him don't understand what this kind of rhetoric does to the Asian and the Asian American community living in the United States of America. Why do you think there's a huge uptick in hate crimes against, reported hate crimes and obviously unreported hate crimes in the recent months? Because literally it's being okayed by the leader of our country. I mean, it's COVID. 
19. Like, that's what it's called. That is the scientific name. And he just chooses to label it the China virus. Pause. If you're not able to tell, Sarah's extremely passionate about this subject, but her mind kind of got sidetracked and forgot that this podcast was intended for Asian adoptees. So when she says you in the next few minutes, she's not referring to Asian adoptees. She's referring to the majority race. But in the end, I decided to not edit it out because I thought her speech and emotions were raw and real, and she made valid claims. Continue. And you might not think that, oh, what are you talking about? Like, that doesn't matter. I mean, it originated in China. Blah, 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 blah. We know it originated in China. You have to keep constantly referencing it originated in China because the only reason you're doing that, just go back to this was China's fault, this was China's fault, this was China's fault, it originated in China, that equals China's fault, and that equals the people who live here, it's their fault, and you just get to make those connections because Trump is making those connections, and it is so disrespectful, and he does not understand, and people do not understand that what the meaning their words have, and that meaning is so heightened when you hold that kind of position in our country, and you're just letting Everyone know it's totally okay to say this, and it's so okay to treat people in this way. Let me give you a little history lesson. In the late 19th century, you know where I'm going with this, Chinese people migrated to America to escape poverty from their home country, and when they moved to America, they would perform very low-paying jobs in the mining and railroad industry. They were highly oppressed by Americans, because Americans didn't like the fact that they were taking these jobs and were blaming the American economic downfall on the Chinese, thus motivating a number of massacres and threats towards Asians. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. Because America couldn't handle the amount of Chinese immigrants, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. This was the first law that prevented immigration because of race where it halted Chinese people from immigrating into into the U.S. In addition, they weren't able to be neutralized, which means that they couldn't become citizens of the United States. This lasted from 1882 to 1943. Yeah, no, those are some great points to make. And what is so upsetting about situations like these, which involve, like, government legislation, government legislation that is just literally so blatantly racist is that all the blame is being put on these people who are escaping like poverty and like worn torn conditions in their country in order to make crap money because employers white employers know that these people will work for literally whatever they pay them and The government has no issue with companies taking advantage of people who have no choice but to choose a crappy wage over getting raped and pillaged in their home country. There's no issue with these employers. No, the issue is with the Chinese people. The issue is with the hordes of Chinese people that are escaping literal hell in China. The issue isn't with these employers who are making a giant profit off of the hard work and 
pain and suffering of a giant group of people. And you know what that reminds me of? Oh, like, let me think. Like, oh, right. Immigration today. Back to present day. Sarah's already brought it back to present day. But we all know about the explicit attitudes and behaviors that are said and done towards Asian people. But I'd like to discuss the most underrated and subtle, but not subtle, racist remarks that people can make towards any POC, which are microaggressions. By a CNN article, a microaggression is defined as a question, comment, or just any type of remark that can be seen as hostile, derogatory, or negative racial messages or assumptions to the receiving end. Sometimes these are intentional, sometimes these are unintentional, but this is racism disguised to make the favorited group feel like they're playing the part of not being racist when they really are. It's small comments like, where are you really from? When I look at you, I don't see color. I can't pronounce that name, so I'm just gonna call you Sally. These are racist remarks that aren't explicitly racist, but damn pretty explicit to the person they're talking to, i.e. us. I'm a tough love kind of person, so for those people saying, I don't wanna say anything back because I don't wanna disrupt the peace. First of all, what peace? Second of all, would you rather be a target of modern day racism and let it keep happening, or would you rather stand up for yourself and your community to bring one step towards defeating racism? It's about your response that can make that person change the outlook of how they treat others. That, I do have to say I agree with parts of what you just said, Ali, but I think that it's important to consider how the victims of white supremacy and these kinds of microaggressions and offhanded comments they get bombarded with them like almost every day and they have to deal with this so often so frequently on the daily and it can be really discouraging and it has a silencing effect so for those of you who aren't ready to take a stand or just don't have the courage to because you feel so worn out by this battle that you've been fighting every single day. Like, I just want you to know that those feelings are valid and you get to take that space and take the time to build up the, the kind of motivation you need to take the stand as however you see fit. Because in my mind, the root of the problem and the only ones who can solve it are the people in power, which are white people. Do you mind if I read something from this book? It's like really Sarah, short. go right ahead. Okay. We'd love to hear it. So I'm reading this book, White Fragility, by Robin D'Angelo, who is a white woman, and her audience is white people. And she talks about how racism isn't a black person's problem. Racism is a white person's problem because the only people that can truly eradicate racism from the systems that have been designed to put down people of color are the people in power, which are white people. And I think that's hard to take, so I'll give like an example she gives in the book. So I obviously believe in taking a stand and the people who are being victimized, like, you know, 
yes, like, Black Lives Matter, women's suffrage, like, yes, like, speak out, be proud, like, put light on these issues, name white supremacy, name the institutions that oppress us, like, yes, I am with Ali on that. But if you think about it from Robin D'Angelo's terms, who gave women the right to vote? Men. Men were in control of literally every government institution because women obviously couldn't vote and had no political voice. So women and their allies had to convince men to give them the vote. So women's suffrage is a man's problem and it's a problem that they have the responsibility to solve. And, what, and racism is a problem that white people, it is their responsibility to solve. Pause. Again, Sarah got sidetracked on who the intended audience is, but for the same reasons, I'm keeping her speech in. Continue. It is your responsibility to educate yourself and be more aware of what it's like to be a person of color in America. And if you want to know why, it's because you're in control of literally every aspect of the world. Because these are some statistics from 2016 to 2017. The 10 richest Americans are 100% white, seven of whom are among the 10 richest in the world. The US Congress is 90% white. US governors are 96% white. Top military advisors are 100% white. The US House Freedom Caucus is 99% white. The current US presidential cabinet is 91% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white. People who decide which books we read, 90% white. People who decide which news is covered, 85% white. People who decide which music is produced, 95% white. People who directed the 100 top grossing films of all time worldwide, 95% white. Teachers, 82% white. Full-time college professors, 84% white. Owners of men's professional football teams, 97% white. White people control every aspect of society. Racism, against Asian adoptees, racism against black people, racism against Latinx people, racism against people of color is a white person's problem and they have the responsibility to solve it. I actually really like that point of view that you said because I didn't think of it like that. I've never thought of it like that. And I think that's very eye-opening to all of us and to also white people as they should take the privilege of educating themselves because it's not our problem, it's their problem, and, and only we can do so much to stop it. Back to microaggressions. Um, and microaggressions aren't targeted towards just race, FYI. They can be targeted towards any minority group, including LGBTQ plus community, religions, gender, and transracial adoptees. A few microaggressions I've heard are, do you ever want to meet your real parents? Your English is really good. Wow, you're so pretty for an Asian. And my favorite, do you ever wonder what it would be like if you weren't adopted from China? This one reminds me that I'm a minority and that I'm adopted. Thanks for the daily reminder that I never subscribe to. And I'm not saying that everyone who says a microaggression is racist or, or purposely is trying to make you feel bad. Important. These people just simply need to be educated and told 
that what they said isn't okay and that it is racist or it is belittling to say those kinds of things. But if they are being too aggressive or not understanding the struggle, just know that you've done your part and you've tried educating them. And if they're not open to hearing what you have to say, that's on their character development. Or should I say no character development? Lastly, I also want to discuss another way Asians are being marginalized in today's society. I thought this was very important, so I needed to include this, especially with my passion for film and TV. There are numerous television shows, movies, comedians, etc. that are an influence on normalizing racism towards Asians. When, when Hollywood first began, the only reason that Asian roles were needed were to be made a mockery of and to act out racial stereotypes, which is a large factor to the racist ideals Asians face today. And even then, Asians weren't playing Asian roles. Crazy, right? White people were. We call that yellow face. This is where white actors and actresses would dress up in Chinese garments and or paint themselves literally yellow, depicting someone of the Asian culture to ultimately ridicule our race. Today, Hollywood's gotten a little better with adding diversity and making Asians have normal roles. But the outdated narrative of a stereotypical Asian has not yet fully diminished in Hollywood. And to bring it back to the audience, I probably can't tell you one TV show or film that I've seen where they include an Asian transracial adoptee storyline. And maybe I haven't seen enough TV shows and movies, or I'm just hitting a blank right now, but that's just my observation. There are thousands of us, and not one director or screenwriter or casting director thinks that having a storyline for a transracial Asian adoptee is worth the representation. To bring back to my point, the majority of Hollywood, not all Hollywood, but the majority of Hollywood only ever seems like we're necessary when they need a stereotypical Asian. Yeah, no, that's that's facts. And I mean, to take it like another another step, you know, also Asians should be just, we shouldn't just be in movies that explain like, our Asian heritage like oh it's a movie about an Asian woman who is Asian and you get to see her Asian culture life and like Asia and like Asia no like we should be like those movies are important and they have a place I am not denying that whatsoever and they're beautiful and we should be watching them but an Asian isn't just an actor to play Asian parts like Asians should be astronauts in movies they should be executives in movies they should be poor people maybe like struggling to find themselves in a movie. They should play roles that aren't just exclusively tied to their identity. Because I also think that's equally important and it will normalize our presence in everyday media and will help us normalize our own identities in our everyday lives. I think that Hollywood has been doing a pretty decent job right now with Asian-led roles. We have Aquafina, Lana Condor, Sandra Oh, Randall Park, but we need more. We need more Asian characters and not just Asians and Asian Americans, but also Asian transracial adoptees so that we can have our story told and feel like we're finally represented after all the negativity that Hollywood and society has implemented on us. So thank you for listening to my podcast about the struggles of transracial Asian adoptees. And I'd like to shout out and thank my passionate <laughs> co-host Sarah Guay 
for adding to the conversation and being a good friend, a great friend, a fantastic friend. Uh, words can't even describe that. For doing this, even though she didn't have to, I literally was like, Sarah, I'll pay you to do this. And she was like, no, you don't have to. And co-pilot, do you have any last words? I mean, honestly, Allie, I was so excited when you invited me to do this project and collaborate with you. You've done an amazing job. You've put all of this research in and I haven't ever seen you this passionate about a school assignment. Wow, I really appreciate that, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> ever, and I'm so glad you majored in communications and are doing things like this because you truly have the work ethic and the means and the drive in order to pursue this kind of career and for you to want to share your story and in the hopes of helping people like us and helping in a small way end racism i think that i mean i'm the one who's proud of you so Aww, thanks thank you. do you have anything to say to the listeners i would just like to say that i hope this podcast has helped you, you know, if you're starting on your story or accepting your identity or you're already well into that, I just hope that you know that we're all trying to do that. And it's a collaborative effort just like this podcast is. And communication is the key. Please take that to heart, what Sarah said. I... Um, also wanted to say shout out to all my Asian transracial adoptees. You are amazing. I hope this podcast helps embracing your identi identity and racial background. You are amazing. Again, I said it. And don't let anyone tell you that you're not Asian enough or you're too white. You're important to the Asian community and you represent thousands, thousands of kids and adults who have been transracially adopted. Alright, one, two, three. Banana life! Banana life! <laughs> that was so bad. One, two, one, two, three. Banana life!